Just about a half an hour ago, I was on the phone with Mrs. Fulkins, and she wanted me to thank the parish on her behalf for all the prayers, for all the support for her son, Nick. Those of you who aren't aware, Nick Fulkins was diagnosed with a brain tumor about the size of a racquetball in the back right side of his brain, and it was partially entwined there with the brain. So he's an eighth grader here at our school at St. Margaret of York and just had a surgery on Thursday morning. So uh, I was speaking with Mrs. Fulkins and she said that the doctors were amazed how well the surgery had gone. They were able to remove between 75 to 80% of the tumor. Um, they're now testing the tumor to see exactly what type and how the rest of it can be treated. So they're actually fairly amazed, one, at how well the surgery went, and secondly, how well Nick has been recovering. They were expecting to have him in ICU for at least two or three days, and uh, 24 hours after the surgery, he's already on the um, neurology level. He's not even in ICU anymore. So I believe today he was walking up and down the hall with some assistance. Uh, he's able to speak. Um, so obviously the, the normal things due to swelling, the swelling of the brain because of the operation are to be expected, but the doctors said that uh, the surgery went much better than they had imagined. Nick is actually off of all of the heavy pain medication, uh, and he's right now taking the minimal uh, medicine that they, that they deem necessary. So he's off of all the support. I think he only has an IV right now in case of emergency. So. Uh, just a sign of your prayers, right, of the support that everyone's been giving. It's very beautiful to see that when a community comes together. I think it can share this little bit of news without it being too personal. I was told that um, Doug, his father, the night before the surgery, asked him if he was, uh, how he was feeling. And Nick simply responded. He said, Dad, he said, everything's going to be okay. And you see, you know, there's a lot that's going on that's not normal. You see, all this support, the attitude of Nick, the results of the surgery, the rapid recovery, it's really due to our prayers. And that's where we can actually touch with our hands and perceive that the supernatural actually exists and that prayer is actually very efficacious. That God, even though at times seems to be far away in our life, when we least expect it, he steps into the boat of our life. Just as we read in today's gospel, Peter least expected to receive a visit from our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet here he was stepping into his world, his boat. You know, at times we read the gospel, and we can make the apostles out to be... Um, you know, superhuman, like the Fantastic Four or something. And, and the, they, we can't even really relate to them because we're not even reading the gospel. Because we call them St. Peter or St. John or St. James, we immediately think, because in our churches we have like these pedestals and statues of them, we immediately think that that's how they were in real life, right? They walked around with their hands folded and this halo around their head, and that's St. Peter, St. James, and St. John. It's not true. If you read in today's gospel, what happens? We have this huge crowd, right? That's what Luke's telling us. The crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God. How were they listening to the word of God? Jesus was speaking to them. 
You have this huge number of people. They're pressing in on Jesus. He's standing right by the lake, and they're almost going to push him right into the lake because of the number of people. And what are Peter, James, and John doing? I mean, try to imagine what's going on. This huge crowd. Jesus is preaching the word of God, and Jesus looks over, and he sees these fishermen. And what are they doing? They're washing their nets. They don't care. Jesus is there preaching. The crowds are pressing in on him. And Peter, James, and John, yes, Saints Peter, James, and John do not care at all. They're washing their nets. These are the apostles. They don't even realize that Jesus Christ is right beside them. There's a, uh, this is a true story. Um, most of you are familiar with Pope John Paul II and uh, a tremendous pope, right? Pope John Paul the Great, beatified and on the way to canonization. And uh, he was very athletic. And one of the things that uh, was really hard for him when they nominated him to become pope, right, was that he would have to give up a lot of his activity, a lot of his hiking, kayaking, skiing, all these things. So it's a true story. At one point, he was kind of tired of being in the Vatican all that time, right, where most of us are trying to go there on vacation, right? He's actually like, when can I get out of this place? So he's in there, and he organized with his secretary. He said, well, let's go skiing. And obviously, since the Secret Service wouldn't let him go skiing, what he did is he borrowed, you know, a black suit and a black, because the Pope wears white, so he borrowed a black suit and pants and everything, so he would look like a normal priest. And he borrowed a Volkswagen Golf, you know, an old Volkswagen Golf car, and he had his secretary drive him, and he took a newspaper, and he put it up to his face, and as they were going through the checkpoints in the Vatican, the Swiss guard, the secretary just said, no, I'm just taking uh, this priest. He was visiting the Pope. We're taking him back home. Like, okay, they salute. They drive out, so they're free, and they drive up to the north uh, to these mountains where John Paul II used to ski. So he's out there skiing, <laughs> the Pope, without any security whatsoever, and he comes down, and he's waiting in line to get on the ski lift, and this mom skis down with her young son, and they're standing beside the Pope, waiting to get on the ski lift. <laughs> this is a true story, and, and the boy turns over, looks over, and he sees the Pope, and he goes and he pulls on his mom's coat, and he says, Mom, Mom, it's the Pope. And the mom looks over and smiles at John Paul II and then looks down at her son and says, don't be silly, that's not the Pope. <laughs> and they proceeded to get on the chairlift and go up and go skiing. And I think many times that happens in our life where Jesus Christ is something that happens here, right, in the church, and that's where we expect to see and experience Jesus Christ and hear the word, and that's when we pray. But yet, when Jesus Christ steps into our boat, into our life, so to speak, Jesus Christ is on skis beside me, we just go, that's not possible. Jesus Christ doesn't really enter into my everyday life. He's here. He's in the church. And then I go off and I live my life. And a lot of times we can be like the apostles. Jesus Christ can be there right beside us and we have no clue. 
we're there going about our day-to-day lives. And what happens? Well, Jesus Christ steps into Peter's boat and he says, we're going fishing. And we hear that and we're like, okay. But do you realize what just happened? We have Peter, James, and John who are professional fishermen, right? That's their profession. That's how they live, right? They've been doing it their whole life. And we have this carpenter who steps into their boat and says, here, why don't you go out into the deep and cast out your nets for, uh, to catch some fish? You know, and thanks be to God, Luke has a lot of respect for Peter, James, and John, and he didn't include the conversation that probably went on. But I'm sure Peter turned and said, who the heck do you think you are? Like, you get off my boat, you go make your tables and chairs, I'm the one that knows how to fish. What are you thinking? It's like, I don't care if all these people are here. You go preach. I've got nets to clean. And you know what happens? In the end, Peter listens to our Lord Jesus Christ. And he sets out into the deep. He throws out the nets. And it's a tremendous catch of fish. What's the turning point in this story? The turning point is that Peter allows Jesus Christ to take control. Not to take control in the preaching sense, but take control of my life. Jesus, take control of what I know how to do. Jesus, take control of my parenting. Jesus, take control of my studies. Jesus Christ, take control of my work. Jesus Christ, take control of every little part of my life where I think I'm not going to find you, but yet I know that you're there. My dear brothers and sisters, we have to get rid of the mentality of Jesus Christ is only here on Sunday. And I live the rest of my life and he doesn't really have a part of it. We have to get rid of that mentality. It is not true. The early Christians never lived that way. To be a Christian was something that was 24-7. They died for their faith. They were burnt as living torches for their faith. They were eaten by animals for their faith. Their relationship with Jesus Christ marked their day-to-day lives. It marked the way that they were fishermen, the way that they were tent makers, the way that they were whatever. He was everything. And yet, how many times are we so afraid to admit that we belong to him? We might be in a public restaurant, and what do we do? Before we say prayers, right, we'll bend over and we'll put our forehead as close as we can to the hamburger and just do one of those. Like, I hope no one saw that I made the sign of the cross. (laughs) Right? 
God forbid that someone realized I was Christian. My dear brothers and sisters, this is what the gospel is trying to teach us. Jesus does enter my life. And he wants me to change the way that I live it. My life from today on needs to be different. The only way we're going to change this world is if we begin by changing ourselves.